It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217 356 9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217 351 5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Illini Pellas Saturday Sports Talk on this August 14th, two weeks away from the start of college football season. We'll talk about that as we move along this morning. Mr. Tate is in the house in the co-pilot chair. How you doing there, Good Coach? morning, good morning. You awake this morning? Oh, just barely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good enough for us. And we get started <laughs> with uh, 70 degrees, a nice, uh, good-looking, almost football weather kind of day in Illinois and Nebraska. In two weeks from today, we'll talk about that. Martin O'Donnell will be one of our guests. We'll check in with him shortly. Matt Stevens from Illini Guys will visit with us at uh, 930. Greg Sharp. The play-by-play voice of the Nebraska football Cornhuskers will join us at 10. And Illini Assistant Athletic Director and Ticket Manager Jason Hegemeyer will be in the studio after 10, about 10.15 or so. If you have any football ticket questions or basketball ticket questions, he is the guy. We call him the big ticket (laughs) for a reason. He knows what's going on ticket-wise. So that's the lineup. Plenty of time for an open line, 217-356-9397. Or our text line, the Castle Heating and Cooling text line is up and running, 217-351-5357. Baseball yesterday, Cardinals beat Kansas City, 6 to nothing in Kansas City. The Cubs scored 10 runs, had 18 hits, and lost 14-10. to Yeah, they were down 14-4, to <laughs> as I recall. They had an 11, they gave up 11 runs. In the second inning of that ball game, yeah. So I think that was their tenth straight loss. Well, I th- I think I, I I think that they've given up 40, 40 runs in the last few. They got beat ten to nothing one game. Got beat seventeen to four, right, and uh, fourteen to ten. So you know the the problem, and 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 everybody's saying, well, they got no. Look at that lineup. You don't recognize the line. It isn't the lineup that's hurting them. It's the pitching. That's the key to everything always, and yet we talk about these other things. I mean, sure, they, I mean, it's upsetting to, to lose your favorites like Baez and Bryant and Rizzo and, and you know, and Darvish earlier and, and Peterson. I mean, they gave up some – they just let go, I almost let go some, play, some really good players for some unknowns. But the pitching, that's where you got to – that's where you have to be solid. I mean, the Cubs scored more runs than the Cardinals last night. Right. <laughs> but it's the pitching. And they let uh, Jake Arrieta go. Yeah, well, he was really ineffective most of the season. Another one of those kind of guys pitches for the Cardinals tonight, John Lester. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, okay, I, I, I go along with it, I guess, because they just don't have enough starting pitchers. But uh, they need to get Miklas back, and they need to get Lester out of there, I think. And they got... Uh, Flaherty, Jack Flaherty, back last night, and he mm-hmm. gave up two hits through six innings for the Cardinals as they beat Kansas City six to nothing. The Yankees and the White Sox didn't play last night; they had a night off they after the it. after the Field of Dreams game. What did you think of that? I thought it was good. I didn't watch it start to finish. 
I did. Uh, I didn't see it live at the end of the game. I saw the highlight of the walk-off home run, but I was fascinated with the pregame stuff. Oh, I was too. I, I'm a Kevin Costner fan in the first place, and uh, I just, uh, I just thought the game was fantastic. And all those balls landing in the corn, I just keep wondering where those fields. It says three fifty-three down the line. It's around four hundred or so in, in the center. I just, it just seemed like it's a small field. The number of home runs hit to the opposite field, right field homers by right-handed hitters, strikes. It just strikes me that the players have outgrown the fields. I think it's like golf. Uh, the players outgrew the golf courses. Yes. And I've said this before. I think that the major league hitters have outgrown the the size of their uh, of the baseball parks. If there's anybody listening who happened to be there, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call two one seven three five six nine three nine seven. But just watching it on TV, the way that it was produced and uh, the way that Cosner uh, uh, oh, came puffing. in yeah. out of the corn and yeah. took his time. I mean, that took five minutes for him to just kind of walk around and stop and pause and think. He said and, all the right things, too, didn't he? Oh, he did. Yeah. yeah. It was really good stuff. Was that heaven? <laughs> no, it's Iowa. <laughs> it was, oh, okay. It was still Iowa. <laughs> but they had uh, some audio of James Earl Jones. Uh, who played a prominent role in that Who's movie. Who's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was very well done, and uh, I'd like to see the Cubs-Cardinals play in that game. Well, I think the Cardinals were supposed to play last year. They were, and I think and there's a rumor floating around that it might be those two teams because didn't uh, the Cubs manager, Ross, kind of hint that the Cubs were scheduled to play in it next year and then yes. kind of backed off it a little bit. Yes, but, yes. So maybe it is. Maybe it will be the Cubs and the Cardinals next year in the – Field of Dreams game. That's a, that's a good tree. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this. It'd be kind of neat if they played the All Star game there. Well, there's a thought. Here's what. Here's my question for you. Let's say. Of course, they couldn't get very many fans in. That's the downside of that. That's right. But you could get eight thousand fans in there. Now, Steve, what happens if they start having little league tournaments and high school games and college games between Iowa and Iowa State or whoever? What if they just start playing a lot of games there? Does that take away from the uniqueness of this one game? Do, I mean, would would one major league game be the same if you're having all these other games played there? Good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. And I mean, it's an ideal place for right for a college tournament, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an ideal place for a high school tournament. Uh, I if I you know what about the high school the state high school tournament in the state of Iowa eight thousand fans boy that's a, that's an ideal setting by the way uh, it, did you are those stands as protected as they need to be it looked to me like foul balls could go flying in there down the lines I didn't see any netting up there I might have not I might have overlooked it but it looked to me like you're vulnerable I did not notice that and the guy standing in the dugout. Were vulnerable too, because they were all lined up there uh, watching. And if a ball came in, you know, you know how fa- if a hundred mile an hour ball off the bat came flying in there, it's going to hit you before you can react. Yep. You know what happened in 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 Canarsion? Yes. Uh, with the we op- were there that night. Remember that? You don't remember being there? Yeah. We were there because Illinois was playing Missouri in football the next day. Yeah. It was a Friday night game. We were at the game in St. Louis. I didn't see him get hit. I did. I heard it. I mean, we were close enough to where you could hear. I don't know what I was hear. watching, but it's just another foul ball to me. But you were people watching, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. But 
caught him in the eye, and that was yeah. the end of him. Yeah, we were sitting, if I recall correctly, we were sitting down the first base line. That's the side of the Cardinals' dugout. Mm-hmm. There were a bunch of us there that were mm-hmm. covering the game, uh, yeah. the Missouri-Illinois football game. And, uh, yeah, that was that was nasty, and uh, that ended his career. But you're right. There are some vulnerable places. I don't even know why you need a on-deck circle or on-deck position because even though even the guys that bring the balls out to the ump, the the, the kids that do that, they're they think that the, the thinking is that if you're behind the plate and off to the side, you won't get hit, and that's wrong. Right. I mean, you can get hit anywhere. You know how that ball's going to fly off the bat. Exactly. And, and the, you don't have time that close. You don't have time to react. Yeah. And the, even the you know the shots into the dugouts occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you see him ducking. But most of the time, the guys are down behind the screen there. Right. And, and oh well, I I just brought it up because I just I it was a wonderful night, and I don't think anybody got hurt, and that's all good. And, and but I just if you start playing a lot of games there, I think you might need more netting. Some uh, football news or conference news maybe came out last night that there have been some talks going on between the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12, all with new commissioners, by yep, the way. including Jimmy Phillips. Yep, and Jimmy Phillips and the ACC, about forming some kind of alliance that uh, would give them some power against the SEC. Television power. Mm-hmm. They're trying to schedule some games that would be, I would think you, you'd want to pray, maybe do it on something of a regular basis. The problem being, as I look at Illinois' schedule and all the games they've got scheduled into the future with Missouri, and of course we play Virginia this year and next year, uh, and we've got games slated. I don't know. And you got nine Big Ten games. You can only play twelve, so you got three to deal with, and that's the three that I guess you know that in that the Big Ten schools would be dealing with if they're going to have any kind of a cooperative agreement with either the ACC or the Pac-12. I, I think it's a good idea, but you've got a different number of the number of teams in the, in the each league are different, uh, you know. And so the Pac-12's got twelve, right? I mean, they don't have fourteen, do they? Or am I am I mistaken? No, they've got they twelve. Do have, yeah. Whatever. Uh, you wouldn't be able to get everybody playing everybody, but you could get key games, and we might get lucky and and draw Clemson. That <laughs> never draw a lot of TV watchers, wouldn't it? For yeah. about for about ten minutes. <laughs> I wonder what. Uh, the individual Big Ten and other conference coaches and ADs would feel about this if they don't have a little more say in who they get to schedule. And like you said, the schedules are done so far out. How would they merge into this? Well, I think that while the schedules are far out, there are some openings, and and we would probably be more likely to want to schedule Charlotte, which we are this year, in some of those open slots as opposed to if you're already playing Missouri or you're already playing somebody from the ACC, why would you want to uh, schedule another game like that? I, I don't – this is way out of my, you know, understanding of how, how that this would work. I don't see anything wrong with cooperation. I think any kind of cooperation you can do to try to combat the SEC you want to do. And uh, I think the main thing is that we don't see any – any more changes we don't see I, the AC, the ACC is locked they've got a television contracts up to the middle of the 30s then 20 20,000 uh, 21 let's see i think it's 35 and it the year 35 and that's 14 years from now before they could 
legally, or, or at least would they have to break the contracts in order to, uh, to change that. So they, they're not going to have anybody leaving the ACC based on that television contract, period. Right. I mean, there's a lot of talk about, well, why don't we go out and get North Carolina and Virginia to join the, the Big Ten? Well, you can't. They're, they're, they're locked in. Let's go to the phones. Alan is with us in Montrose. Go ahead, Alan. Morning, guys. Uh, I re-upped on the season tickets for this year. I probably wouldn't have done it last year if Lovey was still there, but I went ahead and uh, got season tickets for this year. I'm kind of looking forward to see what is going to happen with the new coach and all. Uh, I had a friend of mine tell me that uh, we picked up a four-star player out of Texas. Is that true? Uh, we picked up a four-star, a guy that was formerly a four-star who enrolled at, at Virginia Tech and played one game last year. But I s- will say the same thing to you that I said to Scott Beatty. Why do you bring up four-star? He, Why don't you bring up what he did last year? I mean, why do we care what a guy did in high school two years ago? Well, that's true. But, uh, you know, we got to start somewhere along. Three stars aren't going to get it. Well, uh, we three... got to do better than that. Well, okay, but these are transfers. I mean, you, now that you know what he's done, uh, I just can't bring myself to go back to what he did in high school. I don't care what anybody did. I mean, Palshevsky was the two-star tackle. Uh, Lowe was maybe a two-star. I don't know if he was two or three. Uh, we've got people. Kramer was uh, was a walk-on. They're, they're our best football players, or some of the best. Uh, I don't care what they did in high school. Let's let's judge them on what we yeah, see. I mean, Beeson was a four star. Is he ever going to play? I don't know. Uh, Probably not. Uh, uh, Isaiah Williams is a four star quarterback. He's not playing quarterback. I mean, I'm just you know, and 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 uh, the number one tight end in the, in the state or was uh, Ford, and this will be his third. Well, let's see, he had one year at Georgia, and he's had this is his third year at Illinois. I'm I'm off. I think he's a really good player, but he hadn't done anything yet to, to you know to justify his ranking in high school. I don't care what he did in high school. Well, offensive linemen alone can improve much more greatly and change more so than say a running back or a wide receiver. Uh, in my opinion, uh, just because it's a two-star. Offensive lineman doesn't mean he can't be pretty good because they can be because it's been proven lots of times. Well, it doesn't Not mean so that a, it also doesn't mean that a, a four-star linebacker in high school is going to be a, a star in college either. Well, that's true. Uh, do you know? Do we have a time on the Wisconsin game this year yet? Uh, let me look. I got the schedule here in front of me. Don't have it memorized yet. I'll look that up, Alan. Keep listening. Okay. All That's right. All Pre- got, guys. Yeah, appreciate the call. 9.15 is the time. We need to take a break. We're going to talk to uh, Martin O'Donnell. Talk some Illinois football after this on the Line Ipella Saturday Sports Talk. It is 9.17, Line Ipella Saturday Sports Talk. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly with you until 11 o'clock today. Again, the phone line is open, 217 356 9397. The answer to Alan's question is yes, the game time has been set, kind of, <laughs> for uh, the Wisconsin game, which is homecoming. It'll be a mid afternoon game, no matter what. It's 
not been determined yet whether it's going to be 2.30 or 3. really doesn't matter if you're going to the game. You'll be in the neighborhood by that time. Uh, 2.30 and 3 are the two options that will be TV-based coming up for the Wisconsin game. Which You mean TV's going to determine what time our game starts? <laughs> when did that ever happen? Novel concept. used to be the, <laughs> all the games were at 1 o'clock, and especially the homecoming game. That was always at 1 o'clock. But, uh, I think Stan Eikenberry decreed that our homecoming game forever would be at 1 o'clock. How long did that last? Not long <laughs> until TV got a load of it. And uh, So let's uh, bring in Martin O'Donnell. I don't remember how many stars Martin O'Donnell was when. I he, think he was a four star. He let's was see. a maybe five star. I'd call him a five star. He's a five star in our book. Good morning, Martin. How are you? I'm doing great. Just happy to be with you two stars this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, it won't be long now. Two weeks from today, we'll be uh, involved in the uh, this show uh, ahead of the uh, season, ahead of our pregame coverage of that noon start against Nebraska. You're getting excited uh, to be the, speaking of stars, Illinois and Nebraska will be the, the stars of the college football world on that day, week zero, the main uh, game on uh, television that week. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely getting excited. And, uh, you know, I think it's great that they'll have kind of a nice platform, get out there, should be a really good game against Nebraska. And, you know, the extra, I mean, the other competitive advantage that, you know, playing kind of the week early gives them is obviously going into that second game against UTSA, you've already you know, you've already tested yourself against some good competition, and then you know they kind of get it made up a little bit later in the year. I think we got two bye weeks this year throughout the course of the season. So yeah, definitely excited. Uh, starting to really feel like football season, and heck, two weeks from today, that's that's right, we'll be kicking it off. Well, we're all trying uh, to work on our preparation for our various jobs of uh, writers and broadcasters and such. And you, as a color man on our radio network, are doing the same. It's a little more difficult this year with the coaching change and Brett Bielma. Uh, not uh, giving a lot of access to practice, but I think we all get why he's doing that. But I'm, I'm excited about getting that first game out of the way, so we start knowing a little more about how this team's going to look. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of questions out there. I think you know some of the things have been kind of vague. They didn't they didn't show a whole lot in the spring game in terms of you know schemes and and things otherwise. But uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Obviously, we'll have a lot more uh, data points there after that first game against Nebraska and. You know, have I think a, a decent feel for um, you know how guys have progressed, and, and that's one of the things that's uh, that's a little bit challenging this year compared to other years. Is just you know typically we're able to watch you know watch more spring practice and then watch some fall practice, and you know I usually like that because you can kind of see how guys have progressed from the previous season. But um, you know it'll be kind of like Christmas morning. You don't really know what's going to be inside the present, but you're excited to see it either way. Uh, Alan from Montrose called and, and said he thinks that offensive linemen tend to improve maybe more than players at other positions. I don't know if that's true, but you're an offensive lineman. What do you think? I don't know if they, I don't know if they improve more. I think, you know, certainly the, I, I think what you see along both lines, it's not just the offensive line, but also the defensive line is, you know, you know, they have these, you know, kind of half padded practices and things like that. And, you know, heck, even when they're out there in just spiders and helmets, I mean, it's really full go, you know, along the line of scrimmage. I think I think certainly there's the biggest learning curve in terms of getting and playing offensive line, you know, from high school to the collegiate level. Um, but I think there's so many factors in that. It, it, it depends on position coach. It depends on strength and conditioning program. Um, so guys certainly improve. I think Illinois really benefits from, from really having a, a pretty senior-laden group coming back up front. And, you know, those are the guys that I'm really looking at to, to set the tone. And I think, you know, they, they obviously played really well against Nebraska last year in Lincoln. So, you know, really looking for them to pick up where they left off. 
Yeah, it, and it, it, this is really going to be a, maybe a, as ex, the most experienced line in Illinois history, if not the most experienced line in, in American history, <laughs> when when you consider all the fifth-year guys they have, plus Gerasati. I think Gerasati's a fifth-year guy, too, isn't he? So I, this is a, this is a experience beyond anything we've ever known. Yeah. No, it's a lot of experience, and I think it obviously starts right there at the center position with Doug Kramer. You know, getting Doug back for a sixth year is obviously big for the program, and you know, really, I think it really helps there anytime you're transitioning offensive schemes. You know, when you have a guy who is experienced at the center position that really can kind of set the calls because, you know, Illinois, again, is fortunate that we have, you know, this other experience around him. But, you know, again, if you have the center that gets people on the right page, you know, that's a really good first start. Even if guys don't know the extent of the playbook or exactly what to do on every play, you know, Doug can kind of get them lined up right, and, uh, and then they'll have a really good chance to be successful. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I'm really looking for this offensive line group you know, to not just be a good group, I'm looking for them to be a dominant group. I think this team needs that. I think they're going to be leaning on the running game. And, you know, with the backfield that they have coming back, and again, the guys up front, an experienced guy quarterback. I mean, like I said, I'm just looking forward to kind of see how that fits into Tony Peterson's scheme. Yeah, and Tony Peterson's scheme and, and the history of Bielma, who is, is a run-oriented coach, I would say. Did you, do you see Illinois be able to um, develop a running game more so than in the past? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's certainly going to be it's going to be a running game where they're going to really lean on the on the on the running backs. I mean, it's going to be more akin to you know a, you know the Big Ten West. You have, you have Iowa, you have Minnesota, um, and you have Wisconsin. You have three programs that are really built around the running game right now. And there's different ways to do it. They all take a different approach. I think Illinois is going to kind of slot into that vein. You know, they're going to lean heavily on Chase Brown. They're going to lean heavily on the other guys behind him. You know, getting Mike Epstein back will be helpful to have that versatile guy in the backfield. Uh, but, again, they're going to need a couple of guys that can step up and do it. And, and we know that Brandon Peters has the athleticism to keep defenses honest. Again, he, you know, he's not the best fit for kind of a quarterback run-oriented scheme. But I think certainly getting you know, play action, bootleg, getting him out on the edge, I mean, there's some danger there. And we've, and we've seen him break off some really nice runs uh, over the past couple of years here. Talking football with Martin O'Donnell, uh, as a player, you, uh, you line up and play whatever the schedule says. But do you have any thoughts about playing a conference game in the first game of the season? Would you rather not do that? Or, again, you have no say over it. But what are your thoughts about that? And several teams in the Big Ten are doing that this year. Yeah, I mean, I think there's – I mean, I mean, again, obviously all that was governed by, by television, right? You know, yeah. the, the SEC kind of started having conference games early on, and so that made for some really good TV. You know, I, I really see it both ways. You know, I think, you know, kind of the more traditional approach is you play – you know, a lower level D1 team where you play like an FCS team, you know, first kind of hopefully get the kinks out and then you kind of ramp up competition. I do think there is something really to be gained, you know, by playing a really tough opponent right off the bat because you figure out really quickly, hey, do we got it? You know, if you have, you know, some issues that can get exploited, they get exploited on a much larger level and vice versa. I mean, if you have some success, you know, that can really instill some confidence in the team. I mean, you know, a couple times, you know, we wound up playing, um, you know, Mizzou first game of the year, you know, in St. Louis, which was a really good test. You know, we were able to find out right away, you know, what kind of team we were going to be. And one year in 2003, it was not very good. And, you know, the other year in 2007, it was, it was a pretty good team. So, I mean, there's positives and negatives either way. Um, but, yeah, again, I think with everything, I think the important thing for, you know, all the guys, I'm sure they're going to be happy to see the crowd out there you know, after a very weird uh, year and, you know, get a good tailgate and hopefully have a good crowd out there in two weeks. What would your main concerns be or what are the main question marks you might have on this team going into the uh, first game? Yeah, so I'm really kind of, you know, hovering around two things. I think, one, they got to figure out who are going to be the playmakers in the passing game. 
you know, I'm, my suspicion right now is I think they're going to want to run more of that through the tight end position than they have previously. And, and again, a lot of that is based on, you know, Brett Bielema's background, you know, at Wisconsin. And it also has to do with the personnel. I mean, you got Daniel Barker, who I think is a very underrated tight end, you know, in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, you know, he's a real playmaker there. And then you tag team him up with Luke Ford. I think you can do some really creative things in the passing game. You get some mismatches. And then obviously the switch of Isaiah Williams to receiver from quarterback, you know, seeing how that plays out is going to be interesting. But they're going to have to find guys that can allow them to get chunk plays in the passing game. That's one of the biggest things that I'm interested to see. And then defensively, it's really just kind of, you know, how does the existing personnel fit into the new scheme? How does that work? You know, Owen Carney kind of switching positions, Isaiah Game, and kind of going to an odd front. You know, they'll call it multiple. So, you know, sometimes it may look just kind of more like a traditional four-man front, maybe one guy standing up. But, you know, what do they do? What does that aggressiveness look like? What kind of coverage are they running behind it? I, I think those are the two big things. Who are the playmakers on offense in the passing game? you know, from a receiving standpoint. And then defensively, just how do guys slot in? I think Illinois, again, has some nice personnel for this odd man front. You got Rob Perry, Calvin Avery to back him up. I think those are really good, you know, solid nose tackle tandem. But, you know, who are the other guys that are going to be disruptive up front? You know, Jamal Woods, you know, obviously Owen Carney coming off an all-Big Ten season. How do those guys kind of fit in? And then, obviously, you have the linebacker play as well. Getting Jake Hansen back is enormous. Um, And there's a lot of experience back there, too. So it's really just kind of how does all that work? How comfortable do they seem? After a couple of years where the Illinois defense, you know, struggled pretty mightily at times. You know, you talked about a running game in the Big Ten, and I think we're all aware about Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, but they don't have really what I would call flashy running uh, quarterbacks uh, any more so than Illinois has with Peters. I mean, Tanner from Minnesota is mm-hmm. one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He'll run some. I'm not saying they won't ever run, but they don't build it around a. 20 runs by the quarterback, any of them. So I, right. I don't see Illinois any, as any different from that. Do you? No, no, I, I, I agree with you, Lauren. I think that's, that's why, you know, and they all have different flavors. I mean, again, they're not running it through, you know, through the tight end or through the, uh, they're not running it through the quarterback. Again, they're leaning on those running backs and they all have little different schemes. You know, Wisconsin seems a little bit more of a power scheme, you know, Iowa, you know, a decent amount of zone. Those two are fairly similar. Wisconsin obviously uses an H back, you know, quite a bit more kind of that super back position as Northwestern would call it. And then, and then Minnesota, you know, they're kind of, it's kind of a spread offense, but really a spread run offense, really leaning on that running game. So, you know, again, I think the Big Ten West, I mean, you know, some people call it kind of, uh, you know, caveman football, but it really is run the ball, stop the run. And so uh-huh. Illinois, you know, has had some success in running the ball in recent years, but the stopping the run has been a huge part. And so, you know, the teams that have success in the Big Ten West, you know, probably the Big Ten at large are, are really the teams that can stop the run, force the other team to do what they're not as comfortable doing, that's making plays in the passing game, you know, third down and long plays like that. That's going to be the real test. And, again, I'm interested to see kind of how this defense uh, matches up against some of those rushing games. Another minute or two with Martin O'Donnell. Let's take a phone call. Steve in Princeton. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I got a question for Martin. I know we're talking about in two weeks, Nebraska, what this season's going to look like. But when Brett came in as coach, it was looking for the future. And I heard Colin Lockus, I think, the other night on the radio say Urbana had 21 players show up for football. What's he see the future of high school football when numbers are down and how that's going to reflect on the Illinois roster? Yeah, it's a good question. I I think, obviously, the participation numbers in high school football continue to be down. Um, You know, and I think football is really going to be one of those sports that continues to only be as successful as the communities around it. I mean, there's I know there's a lot of other good high school football, you know, in communities around here. You know, I'd be curious as to, you know, kind of what is, you know, what are St. Joe's numbers? What are, you know, Unity's numbers? 
um, you know, Monticello, some of those programs. But, you know, I think if it continues to dwindle, you know, in the state of Illinois, you know, obviously there's, there's still going to be good people playing good football within the state of Illinois. But I think the easy answer there is you, you got to kind of look, you know, outside a little bit more, a little bit um, elsewhere. And that's one thing that I really liked about Bielema and their commitment to the state is, you know, the state of Illinois has never had, you know, 10 five-star receivers in any given year like, you know, Florida would. And five-star is an exaggeration. But, you know, Florida, Texas, Georgia, you know, these teams have deep, you know, talent pools. What Illinois does have is line, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, linebackers. You're going to have some really good skill position players, you know, otherwise they kind of mix in there. But, you know, again, you're not going to get a heads up on those guys if you're not making the commitment to the high school coaches on a regular basis, you know, really that Brett Bielema and his staff have. So, um, so I think, I think they're going to do, I think they're going to have a better batting percentage, you know, better hitting percentage with those, those players that are here in the state of Illinois. But, you know, again, I mean, participation numbers, you know, are concerning and that's not just Illinois. I mean, that, that's in a lot of different states. Anything else, Steve? Nope. I just wanted to get his opinion on it. But like I said, that's a concern of mine is how you can yeah. recruit in state when the numbers are down. Yeah. Good stuff. Not there. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Appreciate the call. Martin, you've got uh, two young boys. Do, are they fans of football? Are they going to want to play? Yeah, I mean, so my uh, our, our middle child, the seven-year-old, he, he likes football. We got him in flag football at the YMCA and stuff. And, and I think he'll continue to do that. Um, but, you know, I've always kind of said that, you know, you know, they'll, they'll, and part of it is just based on personal experience. You know, in my opinion, they don't, they don't really need to play tackle football before high school. I played one year before high school. Um, but I think getting them involved, having them know kind of what the rules are. And, you know, if they were to, you know, if you were to come to me in, in seventh or eighth grade and all of his friends are doing it and say, Hey, I really want to do it. And, and I felt good about the, you know, the coaching and, and the program and the safety aspects of it. And certainly there's going to be more data at that point too, right. because, you know, all the stuff with, you know, concussions and, and CTE and head injuries, I mean, that's still, you know, fairly new in terms of medical research. So, um, no, so that, that's kind of my standing opinion. Uh, but, again, I, I think, you know, everything's, it's, you know, it's a risk-benefit analysis. And, you know, I've, I've benefited significantly from the game of football. And so, you know, would love for them to have uh, an interest or if it's not football, whether it's, you know, choir or band or, or whatever, but just find something, work towards it and, um, and be successful at it. Good stuff, Martin. Appreciate your time. As always, look forward to another season working with you on our broadcast team. And uh, we'll see you probably later today over uh, around uh, Football Media Day. Sounds good. See you later, guys. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yep. Martin O'Donnell with us um, here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Two really good points he made, I thought, about the two concerns. And I think mm-hmm. he he kind of pinpointed it, uh, the, the, how the, the receivers develop, because we have – we lose uh, – we lose our number one receiver, uh, Bebe, mm-hmm. and now we've got to find somebody to step up and be number one, and they need a, a strong number two. I mean, and, and I think that uh, the emphasis on the tight end will be there. I think that you'll see a lot more balls thrown to the tight ends this year than we've seen in the past. I've been saying that for how many years, Steve? Well, 20. At least. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the other thing about the deep, how they, we got a, a lot of experience, but we're adjusting to a whole new system. That's you just don't know what to expect. 9.33, need to take a break. We'll talk some more Illinois football when we come back. Stay with us here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Nine thirty-five, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Thanks to Martin O'Donnell checking in with us. We're going to hear from Nebraska radio play-by-play man Greg Sharp coming up. At 10 o'clock, about 10.15, Jason Hegemeyer, Illinois ticket manager, will stop by. Right now in the studio, 
You've got uh, from IlliniGuys.com, Matt Stevens covering Illinois football. How you doing, Matt? Steve, Lauren, how we doing? Good. You ready to get after it today? Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a long day. <laughs> it is. A media day over at the Memorial Stadium, uh, local media day. They had the Big Ten Network here for its uh, media stop uh, last week. But uh, the rest of us uh, get over today, the chance to talk to players. And then we're two weeks out. You getting excited? A little bit, yeah. I think the uh, I think Martin said it right. I think that it's kind of like Christmas morning more than any other fall camp because we just haven't gotten a whole lot of access, so we don't know what we're going to see on the 28th, and I don't think anybody else does. I I tell everybody right now, I said, you, you're you going to see exactly the same time I do what exactly this Illinois football team is going to look like 100% and just the same time that I do, and that's 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 kind of how this is going to work right now because I, I feel like, you know, Bielema feels like he's got an advantage. Um having a new system and a new coaching staff and a new uh, and, and everything being new. And then Scott Frost kind of said it during Big Ten Media Day in Indy that, you know, this is going to be a difficult scout for us and we're going to have to take some time to do it. So I, I'm, I'm excited about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how this opener goes because, Steve, I've, I've told a lot of people, check back with me after the opener to let, and I'll tell you how I think the season's going to go because I, in no season prior that I've, that I've been around, has the opener really dictated what I've really thought about what's going to happen? And I think this is a really uh, big test, but it's a, it's a winnable test for Illinois, and, and I'd, I'd like to know how that's going to work out for the rest of the year. Well, it's kind of a different cat because uh, normally you open with a game that you're probably going to win or you have a sure. good chance to win, and this is a conference game right out of the gate. I mentioned also there are some other ones, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio State, Minnesota, that start out uh, conference games. So this has a little bit different uh, meaning to it. Yeah, and I, I feel like if you're if you're Illinois right now, and and, and you're Nebraska, and you're the two, you know you're going to play as the two first two Power Five conference teams in the country to ever showcase what they're going to do. There's a sense that you know you're showing the country exactly what you're going to be. And if you're Scott Frost, I get the sense from Scott, especially at Indy, that this is the most confident, and this is the most talent, and this is the most experience he's ever had in Lincoln right now. And it's also a big year for him because I think they need to start turning the corner and start competing in the Big Ten West, and I think this would be the week to do it. And if you're Brett Bielema, you've got all these seniors, 22 super seniors coming back. You would think this would be the year and this would be the game to kind of you know get the momentum started. And so I think both both programs are really looking to take a real big step forward in 2021, and this is, this is the game to do it. It's a major change in my mind to go from a four-man line, which Illinois has been using forever. I don't know when Illinois last used an odd front. Do you? Uh, uh, it would have to be Lou Tepper's defense, right? The three-four that they used with Simeon and Kevin Hardy and all those guys. I mean, that would be that'd be the last time I remember him using an odd man front. I don't. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's that's the last time I remember it. But but in a sense, Lauren, Lauren, I know why you're kind of confused because I know that they used to just rush four or five, six guys anyway. You know, well, they didn't. Well, look they brought that way. Hardy from a linebacker spot, that's what I'm and saying. of course, yeah. and, and and in my mind, they brought. Uh, Rice from an end spot. Right. He was they never. Did. He was never a linebacker. I remember. Well, and I, I think we, to that point, though, Lauren, I don't think Owen Carney is ever going to drop in coverage, and I don't think Simeon ever did either. And he was listed as a linebacker technically. So, like, yeah, that's I, where I think that this. If you want to draw a parallel, I think that's the best we can do right now. Is well, it's been a while. Yeah, I know. And and, and what I'm saying is, you've got all these guys have played all. The, they got a lot. I say they got a lot of experience. You got Randolph and and uh, and Johnny Newton, who have, are just second year players. And Randolph's playing the first this first time he's ever played in the in the line, uh, in his life, I assume, because he's always been an end. Right. And so, 
uh, how how is this defense going to work? I, I like the idea, and I like the idea of getting more blitz and and and, and more aggressiveness, but. Uh, it is new to all these players. Yeah, I'm, I'm more interested in the second level, Lauren, because I think they have a lot of talent at linebacker. I think they have a lot of talent at inside linebacker with Jake mm-hmm. Hansen and Tyreek Barnes and um, and Kalon Tolson. But if you're going to and, and CJ Hart, the transfer mm-hmm. they have from NC State, but if you're going to get all your best players on the field, well, then you still have Owen Carney and you still have Isaiah Gay as your technically your outside linebackers. So I'm concerned about. You know which linebacker is going to be standing next to Brett Bielema when the idea is to get your best eleven on the field, and I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic to this defense well, as to well, how how many different guys are going to play. Because when I would look at the PFF Pro Football Focus stats, Lauren last year from Levy's defense, fifteen guys would play. I mean, I, I'm not kidding. Like they didn't substitute a whole lot on defense. Period. And I think that. Brett Bielema and Kevin Kane and, and uh, Ryan Walters, they're going to substitute a lot because I think they have a lot of talent and a lot of experience, especially in the you know the second level and a little bit in the in the third level too at safety. Well, I, I think that's right. I, I think I think the substitutions will be much more hev- more heavy in the defensive uh, line, especially uh, maybe more. The only other position offensive is you'll see that will be at receiver. They'll they'll use uh, multiple receivers. But uh, everybody else will pretty much stay the same, I think. They may alter- alternate running back some, but I think they want uh, Chase Brown in there as much as possible. But defensively, um, I still see – and by the way, Seth Coleman is playing uh, – sure. is, is dead even with Gay, I think, on that, on that one side. But I, I, just don't, I, see, I still see in my mind Carney as a, as a defensive end, even though he's standing up. I just – you know, they're the outside of a five-man front. I think that they've – I think you're right. I think it is going to be a five-man front. I think it is going to be Owen Carney in a two-point stance going after the quarterback instead of with his hand in the ground. Mm-hmm. I think that's the idea. Mm-hmm. I think if Owen Carney's dropping in coverage right now, you've done something drastically wrong. And Well, the idea is always to trick the defense. Exactly. I mean, I'm sorry, trick the offense. The defense wants to do things, to, and it just seemed like Lovey never did that. We didn't blitz that much, and we just was, were too set. In, in our system defensively. Well, having been a Bears fan all my life, I understood that Lovey's cover two defense was predicated on the idea of the four guys up front being able to create pressure. They never did. If you yeah. again, if you looked at the PFF stat, yeah. Illinois was in the bottom th- bottom tenth of the country in pass rush rating all through Lovey's tenure. So if you can't get pressure with those front four, how are you going to cover with the back seven? And that was always the problem with Lovey's defense. I think that you know Kevin Kane and Ryan Walters' defense is going to be a little different in the sense that I think you're going to see quarterbacks pointing a little bit and going, well, there's Owen Carney. Okay, now here's where he's coming from. It's, it's kind of like when, when quarterbacks try to identify blitzers and try to identify guys. I think they're going to come from a lot of different angles and a lot of different players. But I do think Lauren's right that it is going to be a five-man front in the sense that I always think they're going to probably try to bring five or even maybe six guys toward the quarterback just to give them pressure and – I don't think they want the quarterback sitting back there like they did the years past and just kind of trying to pick Illinois apart. How are you feeling about the secondary? Better about the safeties than I am about the corners, and that's not a that's not a a knock on Devin Weatherspoon and, and Tony Adams, but I'm not I'm concerned about what's behind them at corner. I think that those two guys can handle themselves, but I don't think asking them to play seventy, maybe even eighty snaps is. is, is I think that's out of the question. I like what I see at safety, though. I think Quan Martin can do the job. I think that Sidney Brown can do the job. They do. They they brought in a, a transfer, Prather Hudson from Georgia, who I think is going to be a 
you know, a, a hybrid safety linebacker type of player that can play behind them. I like what I see out of safety in terms of depth. I don't like what I see out of corner right now. I think the top two guys are, are Big Ten ready and Big Ten proficient. I don't think anything behind them right now is ready for what they're going to see at that type of level, and I think that that's a major concern. And, again, I think that's why they're so predicated on the, you know, the front seven, maybe front eight guys being able to get to the quarterback as quick as possible because they want that ball out. Because I think if they have to cover for a long time, Illinois is in trouble. You talked about the running game. We know uh, Brett Bielma's history in that regard. I'm more concerned, I think, about uh, not whether they can run the ball because I think they, they'll they be able to uh, with the experienced offensive line. I'm uh, a little concerned only because I haven't seen much, but who's going to catch the ball? <laughs> that's that's where I think they've got a, they got a room here of about 20 receivers but uh, who's going to step up and be the go-to guys? I think I've told Lauren this. My two main concerns going into this season are definitely at wide receiver and at corner. The good news is I think the two position coaches there are the two two of the best position coaches Illinois has on staff. I think George McDonald is the best position coach on this staff. There's a reason why Brett Bielema's wanted to have him on his staff for 15-plus years and hasn't gotten a chance to, and there's a reason why he was given the associate head coach title. Um, I think George is going to be able to develop that position over time. I have tried to pump the brakes and, you know, temper the expectations for Isaiah Williams because what they're asking this young man to do is something he's never done in his entire football career. So does he have the athletic ability to do it? Does he have the talent? Um, yes, he does. But I think it's a more of an idea of getting him used to playing the position. But I do think that if Illinois' offense is going to be good, they're going to have to get number one to football in a variety of ways. Um, I think Brian Hightower has to be the guy that steps in for Joshua Maderbebe as at the outside X wide receiver position. If he's able to be that safety blanket on the outside, then that gives Illinois a lot more options with the other wide receiver positions. I think you're looking at Isaiah Williams, Casey Washington has come back. I don't know what he's his you know transition is going to be with this new offense, having not been here in the spring. Uh, you're looking at Donnie Navarro, who can play probably two different positions at wide receiver, and I think that the coaching staff, especially George McDonald, trust him the most in terms of mentally and, and, and physically being able to play at this position. But I, I agree with you, Steve. I, I don't see a go-to wide receiver right now other than maybe Isaiah, but he's not the typical, you know, prototypical size strength, right. you know, guy that you would want to throw the football to, especially in the red zone. So I, I have concerns there. I, I do think over time it's going to be developed well, but going into this opener, yeah, I think that's a major deficiency for the Illini. Well, the, the idea when you recruit is to bring in a star, uh, a star receiver and put him at the position and take him right out of high school and, and put him in there and, and have a you know, Smalling or, or whoever and, and, and have him play there. Well, let's just go over those receivers. Uh, Navarro, transfer from Valparaiso. Uh, Hightower, transfer. Uh, you've got um, Dan and Thompson, transfers. You've got Casey Washington, who enrolled at Duke <laughs> and came back. I mean, he did. I mean, you could almost count him as a normal guy, but except he spent some time at Duke, and at least he enrolled there. I mean, they don't have anybody on this among the receivers that figure to play who came by it normally, who, who arrived and is a normal high, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior at Illinois. I got to side with you there, Lauren. I never thought about it that way, but yeah, I mean, and so, and of course, I, I, that, I brought Isaiah Williams, of course, right. who came in as a quarterback. 
my counter to that, Lauren, is, is that when you bring in a new staff and you bring in a new system and you bring in a new position coach, my thought is, is that everybody's on the same playing field come that spring when they're with George, you know, and yeah, going oh, over yeah. stuff in meetings and stuff. So everybody was on equal playing foot at that point during the spring. Uh, so if, if that's the case, then everybody had an open shot at this. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, that's why I think I'm, I'm kind of excited about the development of guys like Pat Bryant, a freshman who I think might be able to wiggle some playing time, you know, later on this year when he starts to develop a, a, as a true freshman. But, yeah, Lauren, I mean, Lauren's absolutely right. This, this wide receiver position went through an incredible overhaul. I think nine new guys from the spring are now in that room. Is that right? And, yeah, and so when you you haven't even mentioned like guys like Marquise Beeson and yeah. who who moved from corner to wide receiver. Is he playing at all? Yes, and so I mean, he, he missed a lot of he's missed some practice. He's I on mean. the list today, interview list today for okay. for, me, for media day. So I assume he's still on the roster and still <laughs> still out there. But but Lauren's right. There are a lot of question marks at wide receiver, and I think that George is going to have to figure out at least two or three guys that he can trust. Period. That that he can be that can be out there. Because I, I, I do believe Tony Peterson's not hiding a whole lot. They do want to play what's called 12 personnel, which is two wide receivers, maybe even two tight ends sometimes. And and I, I'm interested to see how that dynamic's going to work because I do know that they want to get number one Isaiah Williams on the field as much as possible and get him the football. You mentioned uh, Casey Washington. It was Wake Forest. Not, mm. You said Duke, but... I did say Duke. You were, you were close. That's my first mistake today. <laughs> or maybe my 10th. I'm no. <laughs> We're not counting. Maybe the first of the year. <laughs> We're more than halfway through the year. I've been to Raleigh. Lauren wasn't that close on a – or was pretty close on a map. Like, right. You know, so, that's, that's what I mean. You know. Your point about um, Isaiah Williams I think is good as far as a go-to guy just because of size. He's 5'10", 180. Now, does that make him pretty good in, in the open field uh, before you maybe get to the uh, the red zone? Maybe so. I mean, there's some, some attributes both ways, but uh, – but uh, you bring Hightower into it. He's six three. Yeah, I, I think Steve. I go back to the one year I covered Purdue during Rondell Moore's freshman year, and everybody looked at Rondell Moore and said, "That's not a prototypical size receiver." Right. Well, Jeff Brown was going to get him the football in any way, shape, and form he could. I feel like in a in a smaller version, that's what Illinois wants to do. Whether it's jet sweep handoffs or whether it's trying to get him the ball on screens, bubble screens, that type of thing where he can make some some guys miss and then get in some open field. That's where you're going to see Isaiah really, really shine. My concern for Isaiah, I guess, is why I'm trying to temper the expectations is just he needs to be able to effectively and confidently go through everything he needs to go through as a receiver. And then when that happens, he can just go play. And I don't feel like still yet we're getting the sense from Isaiah that he's just going and playing. I think he has to still feel like, and he's told us, I'm still going through the transition of becoming a wide receiver. And, and when that stops and he can just go out and play, I think that there's a dynamic athlete there that Illinois can take advantage of because let's remember he still has four years of eligibility counting this year left because 2020 didn't count. So I think that George McDonald's got a lot to work with there, and I think that they've I've told I've, I think I've told this to Lauren. They did they did this move a year too late, in my opinion. I think he should have done this. I don't know what was promised to him when he came in from Trinity Academy in St. Louis, but but if if they'd have done this a year ago, I think he'd have been he'd have been fully ready to go on August on August twenty eighth to be Illinois slot wide receiver. Well, that's an advantage that. Uh Brett Bielma had he didn't make that promise originally no. so no. he could uh, do what he thinks is going to work best for his 
football team. Another uh, four or five minutes with Matt Stevens. If you have any football questions, give us a call, 217-356-9397. We'd be happy to answer those. Well, uh, Matt, you brought up something off the air a while ago about the fact that the Monday scrimmage, as we're calling it, may not be full tackle. Is that official? This is the second scrimmage that they're going to have. I don't think it's going to be, Lauren. I think the first one they had this past Monday was. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think they're going to do that this time. This is the dress rehearsal, bands out there, cheerleaders are out there, whatever. Let's get used to playing. I I assume it'll be at noon because Brett will want to do that. Um, My problem is is that I I do think – I think also you got to consider, Lauren, that the NCAA changed the way fall camp was going to work starting this year. So Brett's trying to rework with that. So you only get two scrimmages. So I, I do think there's going to be thudding, but I do think that once they once they thud, they're going to blow the whistle and it's going to stop. We our understanding was that first scrimmage it was it was full as Brett said old American football, you know, and and, and they got away without any serious injuries. Bingo. And I think you and also and that, I think that's we, their thinking this coming Monday. Yeah, too. we learned I think it was Thursday night when when we got Bielema for this by last time that it's going to be ten days out that they're going to start preparing for Nebraska. I think at that point you're not going to want to have anybody you know try to get hurt. I, I think that this scrimmage is basically just going to be let's get them used to playing in the stadium. Let's get them. Let's do this dress rehearsal as as best we can except for the physicality because we can't there are certain position groups Lawrence mentioned one at defensive line they just can't afford any injuries and I don't think that they can go full contact if that's the case who do you see fielding punts and kickoffs on this team well there's a photo of Caleb Griffin doing it um I don't know if that means he's still going to do it the interesting I, I think Ben Miller was asked this I think in fall camp the, the new special teams coordinator right. who's also the tight ends coach he basically was asked what he's looking for in terms of the kick return game. And he, the first thing he said was catch the football. Catch the ball. Right. <laughs> Do not cause a turnover. Well, Caleb was really good at that. I mean, he's not going to be a dynamic returner, but he's, he's going to be really good at that. And I, That's the only guy that I can see right now that I know because there's a photo of him catching a punt. That well, Illinois that, sent he out. was out there the other day when I was at practice today. See, he was the only one back there. Now I'm sure they have backups, obviously. Right, and there's other position groups that are being worked like during that period, so that that could be involved right. with that. Right. But I do think you know there's 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 other options they have. I don't think Isaiah is going. They don't think they're going to allow him to be, do that only because they don't want him getting hurt. Um, but no, I, I don't think it's going to be a dynamic return game, Steve. I think they're just going to be trying to catch the football, not cause a turnover, and get the ball back to their offense and. Um, that's been a mainstay for Brett Bielema and, and his system is just catch the punt, maybe fair catch it as much as you can. And that was big, for, that was big with Lovey too. And I, I don't think that much is going to change, but, um, another, another great question, Steve, that I don't think any of us are going to really know until Nebraska punts on August 28th. <laughs> Have you had any contact with uh, guys that do similar work that you do at Nebraska? Have you talked to those? Are you, you're pretty focused on what's going on here. I get that, but I just wonder what, uh, and we're going to have Greg Sharp, their play-by-play guy on here shortly, but I wonder if you had talked to anybody in Lincoln about uh, Nebraska and how they're looking at this game. I got a sense of it in Indy when, when Scott Frost and, and some mm-hmm. of the players were there. I, I Again, I get the sense that Scott is being a little bit more cocky and a little bit more arrogant about this football team because he knows it's pretty good. Um, from my standpoint, I don't know what happened last year, but this you know quarterback hot potato that they did last year, I, I didn't understand it. I think Adrian Martinez is a really good quarterback and a really solid athlete and one that I think Illinois' defense is going to have trouble wrangling on the 28th. Now that they've given him 
full control of this offense again, I, I think they can be pretty dynamic on that side of the ball. I, I think Nebraska, ironically, you know, with the black shirts history and everything, their concern is being able to stop people. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think, you know, I think Scott feels like at least I have a lot of, like Illinois, that I have a lot of veterans. Now, are they getting better or, or, or do we need to start playing some of the young kids on that side of the ball? I think that's what you're going to find out on the 28th. But I think if Nebraska can stop people, guys, I, I, I think they're going back bowling this year because they've got a lot of veterans and they've got a lot of talent. I thought the benching of Martinez last year, the timing of it was curious because it was the Illinois game when they did that. Ideal and, for Illinois. And no kidding. And he had a couple of good games against Illinois previous. Another instance where I don't know what was promised to Luke McCaffrey when that happened, right. but maybe we got to get him on the field because we told him in recruiting he was going to get on the field. I, I don't know the answer to that, but they really, I thought, did an injustice to Adrian Martinez, who I think at the quarterback position is one of the best athletes in the conference. And I think that when you talk about somebody that can throw and can run and can lead an offense – well, he did it really, really well his first year in, in Lincoln. And I, 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 I'm with you, Steve. I don't exactly know what happened last year. And I, I think that Scott kind of has acknowledged that that might have been a mistake. And I think they're going to go back to, to the guy that they trust the most. So IlliniGuys.com is what? Seven or eight months old now. I would think, yeah, seven or eight months old. I'm two months old in. So uh, yeah, we're we're doing the radio show starting on the twentieth. We'll be on uh, at least twenty plus markets. Uh, what I've told a lot of people is that what I like about it is we're doing an hour radio show either, and a lot of the markets are picking it up right before they play a high school football game on that Friday night, or right before they lead into the Illini pregame show on Saturday morning. So uh, about twenty different markets all across the state, and we're we're still doing. Uh, the uh, the Illini guys coverage. I'll be out there today, and and uh, you know if you want premium membership, you can get video content. All 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 I can give you on practice from terms of terms of access, and uh, we've we've been doing that for the, since the start of fall camp. Appreciate your time. We'll see you over there this afternoon. See you guys. Yep, Matt Stevens with IlliniGuys.com. Hour number one of Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk is in the books. Hour number two coming up. Stay with us. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to hour number two. We're heading towards 11 o'clock, a beautiful Saturday morning, August 14th football weather right now 74 degrees bright sunshine here in central illinois phone line is open 217-356-9397 as is the text line we had a text uh, a little bit earlier that uh, i didn't get to i'll get to it right now the question is why is quarterback matt robinson so far down the depth chart although we haven't seen a depth chart um, and why is karan taylor a former quarterback now playing defensive back well those Questions are kind of obvious. Uh, they felt that uh, Taylor would work better on the defensive side, and there are so many guys ahead of him. And with the uh, transfer in of former Rutgers quarterback Art Stakowski, who uh, looks to be the number two quarterback, kind of moves a, Matt Robinson down. It's the judgment they made after seeing him play in the spring, and uh, that's, that's that's all we can say. I mean, the reason they brought when you have a coaching staff that brings in a junior college trans—I'm uh, sorry, a transfer like uh, Sitkowski from Rutgers, 
they're they're going to give him every chance because they believe in him when they when they brought him in, and they have some background knowledge on him that uh, you know that uh, allows them to think that way. I think they feel like that he's a better quarterback than than Rat Robinson. I all I can say about it. Let's uh, welcome into the program our good friend out in Lincoln, Nebraska, Greg Sharp, who is the football radio play-by-play for the Cornhuskers. Gregory, how are you? Steve, I'm great. Always good to hear your and Lauren's voice. You got the uh, Cornhuskers getting ready, as are the Illini, for that game two weeks from today. Tell us a little something about uh, how big this game might be for Nebraska and Scott Frost, who enters year number five. Yeah, it's. I think it's the biggest game of the season for Nebraska. They, the one thing that has escaped Scott Frost in, in his time in Lincoln is the ability to get some momentum going within a season. And I think for that reason, conference game, divisional game, he needs a good year. I think it's a giant game for Nebraska. And I, I think uh, it's going to really set the tone for what kind of fall they're going to have around here. And, and a lot of the players are echoing that same thing, guys. And so I, I think they they realize the magnitude of this one. And now to have to play a team with a brand-new coaching staff adds an awful lot of intrigue to this. Yeah, it makes uh, the Nebraska coaching staff uh, feel like um, private investigators maybe trying to, <laughs> to figure out how to get information, not only about what Brett Bielma has done in the past, that's pretty easily uh, found, but you've got uh, new coordinators, new assistant coaches, kind of tough to find out what they might do. That's the thing. You go and you try to find, you know, you try to find a coordinator's tape from the last job that he had. And you're right. I think he kind of had the MO on Coach Bielma. You, you, you saw his teams for years play at Wisconsin, and then he took that same style down to Arkansas. And so you kind of have that feeling. But a lot of it's going to be a guessing game for, for the Huskers as they go into this opening game. But yeah, it's a, it's a giant game. And I think it's going to get a lot of eyeballs because it's the first game of the season. It's really the only game at noon that day. It's on Big Fox. I think it's a great showcase for both both Nebraska and Illinois. You know, uh, Greg, there's. I think you're right about a lot of eyeballs TV-wise. I just wonder how many people will actually attend. We we hear that the that Nebraska is not bringing as many as we've known in the past. Is would that uh, is that your information too? It is, Lauren. I, I talked to the, the gal who runs our ticket office, and she said, yeah, they still have tickets left in their allotment for this game. And maybe the, the early part of it is sneaking up on people that they're not really thinking that there is a game in late August. And uh, so maybe maybe um, as we get closer, people will be more anxious in, in buying the ticket and making the, the trek from Lincoln or Omaha over to Champaign to watch this game. Sure, hope so. But, you know, I also think that there's a little bit of – a hesitancy with, with kind of the uptick of the virus again, which, doggone yeah. it, we can't quite shake this thing. Yeah. And so I think that might be holding some folks back. Do you see uh, the attendance uh, streak to be broken this year at uh, at at Nebraska? It could. I, I think they got great response on renewals of season tickets back in the spring. Uh, but I, you know, I think that they're, you know, I, I think the I think this opener with Illinois may go a long ways in determining whether people gobble up some of the extra ones that are going to be available for, particularly those next two for Nebraska, which is against Fordham and Buffalo. Those are not the most attractive games to the eyeballs. And so uh, I think a win at, at Champaign would do wonders to keep that streak alive. What is that? What's that number now? 360-something. I, I, I lose track of it. It's three, 
But we haven't talked about it for two years because last right. year nobody was allowed in the stadium. So it's been a, been a while since I've talked about it. But it's in the 360 range. Talking to Greg Sharp, he does the play-by-play of Nebraska football. How is Adrian Martinez doing? Uh, do you get to see a whole lot of practice out there or not? I have. I've seen several practices. He looks really good. He he. I think he got a little heavy the last couple of years. I think they were worried about you know running him as much as they were, so they wanted him to add some weight. But I think that slowed him down. Uh, he's trimmed down. He's playing really well. There's he's clearly the starter. There there's two young guys behind him that that aren't ready to beat really challenge him. So he's got that ease of knowing that it's it's his team, and he's taken on that role pretty well. And uh, you know he didn't he didn't play much against the Illini last year. He was he did not start that game against Illinois. It was Luke McCaffrey who got the start in that game. He came in late, got some mop up duty in the fourth quarter, but. Um, I think he's had a good camp. He looks good. Um, but, you know, it's, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him because he's going to need to stay healthy for this team to have the kind of year they hope to have. Has he got some quality guys to throw the ball to? He really does. That's been a, a nice surprise. I think that they've been, they've been able to add some really nice weapons to that offensive room. A young guy by the name of Samori Toure, who was uh, transferred from Montana, where he was an FCS All-American uh, at, at that level of football, he transferred to Nebraska in the offseason, was able to go through spring workouts. He's really been impressive for this team. Uh, Omar Manning, who was a, a signee two years ago, a junior college All-American, who just had issues last year. I think he really struggled uh, with COVID. Not not so much that he had it, but just kind of the mental aspect of that. And so he's had a good camp at this point in time. Oliver Martin, who began his career at Michigan, then transferred to Iowa, and now is transferred to Nebraska, seems to have settled in. He's probably the fastest guy on this football team. And uh, there's a couple of other players that they have in that room that I think are going to really help Nebraska. Last year, that was a that was a tough spot. Nebraska just didn't win many battles at the line of scrimmage where the receivers could get free and move on down the field and, and get themselves open. I think this group's going to be able to do that much, much better. What did uh, Frost do uh, coaching-wise, staff-wise uh, in the offseason? No changes at all. He made the change at offensive coordinator going into last year with, with bringing Matt Lubick, who was with Scott at Oregon when Scott was the offensive coordinator for the Ducks. Matt was his wide receivers coach. And, um, Lauren, you might remember Matt's dad was Sonny Lubick, who was a really yep. successful head coach at Colorado State for years and years. So yep. he's, he comes from a football family. So he, he was with the program last year. But then, you know, last year he didn't get a spring practice. And then the whole season was so goofy and odd. He did take over the play calling duties late in the season for the Cornhuskers. So now he's had a, a full spring and summer and now into the August camp to kind of get his arms around this offense. So I, in some ways it's a change. It's not because he was here last year for the eight games, uh, but I think this will be his really first full year as offensive coordinator. I'm going to take you away from the game a little bit and ask you what uh, what's the feeling in Nebraska about what's happening with Texas and, and Oklahoma and going to the SEC? A lot of smiles, quite honestly. Uh, No love lost for Texas, right? No, that's exactly right. I think, you know, this was why Nebraska made the decision 11 years ago. They did not want to put their fate, their future, in the hands of Texas. And uh, that's kind of what now has happened to that old group of of big eight schools that are kind of now going, well, what do we do now? And, um, uh, you know, when Nebraska got the offer to join the Big Ten, uh, sleeping under the security blanket of Big Ten is is a really nice thing. So there's there's kind of people going. Well, we kind of told you so that Texas is all about themselves. And boy, I 
you know, this is a real power grab by the SEC guys in my eyes. They're trying to kind of corner the market on this whole thing, and they've been the ones that have pushed for a 12-team playoff, and I think they felt like if they got a 12-team playoff in and get Oklahoma and Texas, that the SEC could have five or six uh, qualifiers every year for that playoff. So now I think you see some of these other conferences, the Big Ten included, going, hold on here a minute. We're not just going to let you guys uh, make call, make all the calls for college football. So I, I'm glad to see even Kevin Warren and the, the new Pac-12 commissioner and Jim Phillips, the old Northwestern AD who's now at the ACC, I think those three are in constant communication about, wait a minute, we need to – we need to make sure the SEC doesn't do call everything about this sport. Well, one thing Lauren and I talked about uh, at the beginning of the show, that, that's good and it's something uh, to think about and, and maybe get behind. But the way football schedules are done so far in advance, when, you know, uh, and if they're talking about a schedule alliance of some kind as opposed to a merger of, of conferences, how soon could that get done? Yeah, I, I you know, I. Contracts can be broken, I guess, Steve, would be my answer. I mean, I think they could probably tear up some, some deals. And Remember, it's about five years ago that Jim Delaney was trying to kind of put a similar alliance together with the Pac-12, and it was going to encompass all sports. He was trying to get some non-conference matchups in basketball and volleyball and all the different sports, and then it kind of flittered away. But now I think that's kind of being revived a little bit. And, you know, I think – I think it would be it would be good. It would be really attractive for the television partners. And I know that I think Illinois plays Virginia this year. Is that correct? I yes. You guys already have a matchup with an yeah. with an ACC school, and um, so I, I think that I think that you know I think these guys are trying to think outside the box a little bit. But I think you could certainly adjust your non conference schedules in the years to come if because money talks. Money can buy you out a lot of different things. Well, you mentioned uh, the other games that uh, against Fordham and Buffalo, then. It's at Oklahoma and at Michigan State for Nebraska. So you've got at Illinois, at Oklahoma, at Michigan State in the first five games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it, this is a really loaded schedule. I mean, the coaches' poll came out, what, Monday or Tuesday this week, and two of the teams that would be in the playoff, according to the coaches, are, are Oklahoma and Ohio State. Nebraska plays both of them this year. And then they've got Michigan later on in the year. And then obviously all the tough games in the Big Ten West. It is a challenging schedule. And that's why I think this Illinois game for Nebraska is just so big because if they can get that one and then get maybe the two at home and then you have two straight road games with OU and Michigan State, uh, you, 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 it's an uphill climb if you don't get out of the gate fast. So I, that's why there's just there's some nervous Husker fans getting ready for this game of the Illini in two weeks. I, I can assure you that. Nebraska was 3-5 and five last year in the uh, pandemic season. What are your concerns defensively for this team? Well, I think I think the strength of this team is going to be the defensive line. They're really good, and they're very deep. Inside linebacker, a young guy by the name of Will Honus, Steve, uh, would, would have been a, one of those super seniors, a six-year guy, but on the last practice of the spring, he tore his knee, and he's out for the year. He was the most experienced inside linebacker in Nebraska, had a really good player. So there's some good players, but not they're not real deep. I think they feel good about three inside backers, but, boy, you go through the battles of this league – you probably need four or five of those guys to, to stand up. So there's a little bit of lack of depth there. I think the secondary is going to be pretty good. So uh, inside linebacker to me is an area that you just worry about the depth. That along with the backup quarterback spot, just with two tr- a redshirt freshmen and a true freshman backing up Adrian. Adrian, who's 
in his fourth year as a starter, has never made it through an entire year without getting hurt. And so when you have a running quarterback, you tend to open yourself up to some injuries. I think that would keep some Husker fans up at night, too, knowing that uh, they've got some young guys who just have not taken snaps at this level as the backups. Keeps Illinois fans <laughs> nervous, too. <laughs> the same thing. If, if, if anything happens to Peters, who knows what happens then? Hey, Greg, we appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. And uh, hopefully, if uh, this virus thing doesn't kick up too much more, we'll be uh, closer to getting back to normal. Oh, I can't. I hope that's the case, Steve. Uh, it's always fun coming on with you guys. What's the over under for game time temperature, do you think, in two weeks? 90, well, 85? Yeah, normally at the end of <laughs> August. But right now, in the middle of August, it's 78. This would be perfect if we get oh, this. But uh, awesome. more likely, it'd be what you mentioned, I think. It's running into the 80s almost every day. Yeah. Yeah, going to be a warm one. All right, yep. gentlemen, look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. You Thanks, too, Greg. Greg. Thank you. That's Greg Sharp with uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers Radio Network. 10.15 is the time. We'll take a break and be back with more on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. 18 minutes after 10, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Jason Hegemeyer, the U of I ticket manager, has made his way into the studio. Jason, good to see you. How's it going? It's going really good. Good morning, guys. You're pretty excited, I would guess. We're two weeks out now from game number one. Give us an idea how, how well tickets uh, have uh, been sold so far. Yeah, I mean, you know what? To be honest, uh, we haven't had a home game in, what, almost two years now. So I am excited. I am excited to be back um, doing what, what I like to do and um, selling tickets and getting ready for football season. And so there's a lot of optimism there. If the game were played today, I, I keep getting this asked this question a lot. There's a lot of interest in you know, what that crowd is going to be like for Coach Bielema's first game. If the game were played today, right now, you know, to be honest, it's around thirty to 35,000 tickets that have been sold. But, you know, I, I keep going back to this, that the the Illini fan base is a late-buying crowd. And they they will buy tickets and show up. I, I, I don't feel comfortable prognosticating what that total is going to be yet, but – this is no different than where we've been in other years. You know, they they, they are going to come out. I I do hear a lot of optimism from people, and so, you know, we're we're starting NFL preseason games now. I I, I hear more people talking football, and so I'm anxious to see what those sales are going to be for the next couple weeks. What about students? Students are trending up. I mean, that is a really really good good sign for us. Our season ticket numbers right now are up uh, compared to two years ago on student season tickets. So. Look, there's a couple of reasons for that, right? There was typically our, our freshman buyers are are the the largest percentage of our student season ticket holders, and so we've actually had two classes of students who have not seen us play yet. So it'll be their first opportunity to go to a home football game. So student numbers are rising. That's a really positive sign for us. And you know, we haven't actually released single game sales to students yet, and that's going to be happening soon. So you're going to see that number for Nebraska start to rise, but right now the focus is getting them on season tickets. Can a person or people make a quote-unquote game day decision? Can they wake up oh, in, two, yeah. in, in two weeks and say, hey, it's a beautiful day, let's go to the game. Can you still walk up and, and get tickets? Yeah, for sure. And, and we talk, like we just joked around about that right before we came back on air that um, walk up, you know, like what does walk up mean anymore? Like it used to be like a big line of people buying on game day, but right now it's a bunch of people on their phones at home right before they drive over to the stadium. So, yes, uh, with mobile ticketing and with selling tickets online at fightingliner.com, you can buy tickets 
24 hours a day. And so there are a lot of people that will wake up that morning, check out the weather, and decide to make their way over to the stadium. If I am a fan, unvaccinated, does it make any difference? I wouldn't see why it would. I mean, if you're unvaccinated, you can come into the stadium and just like we, you know, I know that I've heard it discussed on air before and, you know, we're, we're putting together our, our policies for Memorial Stadium soon. But but right now we're, we're not checking vaccination status at the gates as people come in. Right. I think this is about are you comfortable coming to a football game and 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 being out in that environment that we're while we're encouraging masks? Um, they're not going to be forced to wear them when they're sitting outside watching a football game. There are some indoor type things that, um, you know, if you, if you come inside, you know, you, you may have to wear a mask when you're inside certain places within the football stadium if there's no ventilation there. But that, you know, I, I wouldn't see why being vaccinated or unvaccinated would affect um, – your ability to come to a football game, right? I think it's more about your psyche and your comfort level well, how, and, and how you when, feel about, about that. About that psyche and about that comfort sure. level, how many people do you think, uh, or maybe what percentage, are just not going to come because they're still concerned? You know what? That's the question that every single person in every business in America is asking right now, right? Like it's not just – you know who's coming to a football game it's it's who it's people going to restaurants it's people going into you know retail stores it's do feel do are people at a point where they feel comfortable coming back and resuming normal activities and with the delta variant that's out there right now sure I, I, we we have heard from some people that they're a little bit reluctant to come out but i'll be honest with you not that many people. I think it's one of the things that like they're not going to call our office and say, "Hey, I'm reluctant to come to a game." Yeah. We don't we don't, we don't hear them those. tell it. Like I'm sure there are people sitting at home that are trying to analyze things and make decisions based on what they're comfortable with, but the reality is, is we're kicking that ball off in 2 weeks and there're going to be people in that stadium and and look, it is about just as it is with everything else in life. We're all mitigating risk every single day. We're all we're all talking about the Delta variant. We're all talking about COVID. And we're all doing the best that we can to make the decisions that we can do for our family to keep ourselves healthy. So I, I feel pretty confident I will be there. I know a lot of other people will be inside that stadium, but people need to do what they feel comfortable with. And so, you know, like I said, we're going to kick it off in two weeks. If you're outside, you don't need to wear your mask if you're outside watching a football game. We know that outdoor events, we're not going to require that. And whether you're vaccinated or not, we're not going to check that upon admission into the football stadium. That's really about do you feel comfortable coming and attending an event and being around other people. And you're not going to have mask police either. But as you mentioned, some areas, maybe if you're standing in line in a concession line. I think it's going to be recommended there. Yeah, yeah, I think I think if you're in a look, I mean, this is kind of a common sense type thing, too. Right. right? If you're if you're in an indoor area and you're in a crowd of people where you can't have separation that you would normally like to see there, then, yeah, I, I think a mask would be totally appropriate. I, is there going to be a mask police roaming around inside the Great West Hall? I don't think so. Right. But I do think you if you walk through there, you'll see a lot of people putting them on because they're doing taking just a common sense approach. It's like going to the grocery store. That's right. That's right. Some people are back to doing that again. Mm -hmm. What do you hear from Nebraska? We're hearing that their sales, their travel group is smaller than it may have been in previous years when they came. I remember. Do you remember? Did they have like four or five thousand at one time? Uh, I felt like it was a red horde invaded us one year. Yeah, I you know, of course, I love talking about Nebraska stories um, and their fans that look, I, I, I've, I've tried to say this a few times uh, about 
about the effect that secondary ticketing and sites like StubHub and other resale sites have had on the ticketing industry as a whole. Nebraska right now, they have a great fan base, right? But with the advent of secondary tickets and everything being available all the time now, the times that we're talking about where Nebraska used to bring 5,000, 6,000, 8,000 people to a game, they couldn't get inside the stadium in Lincoln. The, now anybody can go to whatever game they want to as long as they pay the right price. And so games are more accessible to people than they ever have been before. So you, you might have gotten people from Nebraska that would have traveled here just because it was their opportunity to watch their Huskers play, right? That doesn't happen anymore, and it hasn't happened, and I'm probably – a good seven to eight years. So I'm not surprised. No, Nebraska, you know, they're, they're less than 2000 tickets right now. And I don't think they're going to use all of those. And that's okay. Um, a lot of their fans are buying directly from us right now as well. So I don't think you're going to see the type of, of Nebraska traveling that you would have seen in the past. That was similar as I grew up in the state of Ohio. It was similar for Ohio state because they were sold out and had, you know, thousands of people on the waiting list so when they went on the road that was the the chance for people to actually see the team in person that's right you would look at the calendar and you would figure out which places would have availability and and you know i have family members that that live in nebraska and they would take a look at their their schedule every year and they'd say like hey how much money would it cost us to go to waco to see this team play down at baylor and here's the deal now you could take a look and see what you would have paid to travel to go somewhere and if you need to pay more money to see them in lincoln where would you rather see your team play of course you'd rather see him play at home. So there are opportunities now that never existed, you know, 10 years ago. And people can, you can get into whatever event you want to now. You just have to pay the going price. If you have any questions, give us a call. 217-356-9397. Jason Hegemeyer is with us for another eight or 10 minutes here on Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk. Our text line is open as well, 351-5357. We have a text here that I don't know that you'll know the answer to and nor would I expect you would but uh, somebody said uh, do you know will there be new uniforms <laughs> I hope right Nebraska has alley, yeah. I hope Nebraska has those uniforms on I saw on Twitter you see the those with the, yeah, the bib look yeah I hope I hope they come out wearing those things I don't think their guys would feel good about playing in those uniforms I'm surprised I was surprised to see that even uh, even floated out there with a player having them on it looked did you see it it looked like a, a bib overhaul. Yeah, yeah I did see it uh, on yeah on on twi- uh, Twitter, I believe. Yeah, but um, if if so, the uh, answer is no. We don't know what the uniforms. <laughs> no, are we don't like. know. That. If the White Sox are going to wear their nineteen nineteen uniforms. Why don't we come out with Red Grange uniforms? Well, I don't well they've know. got that's the gray a... ghost uniforms they use. But, yeah, uh, I know, but that's not the same. I know. <laughs> well, you want the leather helmets and everything. Yeah, well, you? right, <laughs> leather, leather helmets and that. Uh, striped uh, shirt there you go um what do fans need to know that might be different as they two weeks from now approach the stadium yeah well i mean a couple of new initiatives right i mean uh, we've we we're now pretty heavily involved now with mobile ticketing and about a quarter of our season ticket holders are choosing to manage their tickets via via their mobile phones and so that's a big difference for us this year and so um you know, we're, we're doing a, spending some time right now to educate people on how to use their phones to, to get into uh, the football games. Um, but, you know, other than like, hey, once you, once you arrive at the stadium and you have your tickets, I think things are going to look pretty much like they have before. You're going to see ta- unrestricted tailgating. You're going to see people having a good time outside. You're going to see some programming in Grange Grove. 
you're gonna you're gonna go inside the stadium and you know we're gonna put on a show just like we we always have. I going to hear the marching a lot. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah, things 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 are gonna be back to to what they were. What's the situation in the north uh, end zone with the students? Do you you have any idea where they'll be able to fill that up? Well, again, Lauren, like it, I told you, I, I I hope so, and I would think so. That the the rate of purchase right now, I, I told you, we're up on student season ticket sales right now. Mm-hmm. And again, we have two classes of of students here who have never seen a football game, and you're opening up against Nebraska. So people, I, I do think that we will have a really really good student crowd. Whether or not they'll fill every seat in that north end zone, I don't know, but I I think they will. I think they will. I think we 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 have a couple of things we're gonna you know some promotions we're gonna we're gonna try to. Um, you know, whether it's between residence halls, trying to uh, create some competition among kids getting out to the game. There's some things that we're going to try to do to make sure that there's a lot of students there. Um, so our intent is to have that full, yeah. Basketball tickets, uh, the interest will certainly be increased with uh, all the news oh, yeah. around the basketball team. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, those sales are going really well. And, uh, you know, we had a, obviously we had a really good spike once Kofi made his announcement did you, that he was Did you returning. start sales a little we, bit earlier? Well, we, we, we actually we had already been on sale a little okay. bit. But um, once he made that announcement, I mean, we were – we were ready to go and, and started reaching out to people who hadn't renewed yet, uh, people who you know hadn't who had had season tickets prior to that, who haven't been involved with us in the last year or two. Like there, there's a lot of excitement about about getting back inside State Farm Center to watch that team. And again, you know, you talk about stu- we're, we're, we're I think some of our, our student crowds are going to be some of our best crowds just because, you know, they haven't. There's half the. Half of the students haven't been able to watch a basketball game. The freshman and sophomore class have not been inside to see this team. And look, and, and now, like, this is such a different story than we would have said three years ago, right? Now these kids are coming into school, um, coming to watch a team that has preseason All-Americans and a former number one seed last year. And so there, there's a lot of school pride um, that's that's turning up on basketball right now. And um, yeah, there's there's a lot of good momentum in that direction. You've got at least one fan out there. Somebody texted Jason for governor. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the way, your, your mailings are different this year. Tell us about that. Our what? Your mailings. Our mailings. Uh, mailing. Oh, like when we mailed season tickets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so so just like every other business in America, right? Um, we had to take a look at what our budget was as we came out of COVID, right? Because our revenues were down last year. There's, you know, there's just no denying that so we weren't able to sell tickets and so this year um we we made an effort to go more towards mobile uh because it does give customers a lot more flexibility and you know it is easier for us to deliver things via mobile too but um we also have have decided made the decision this year to not use ups overnight delivery on Mm -hmm. tickets and so we use the u.s postal service this year so the, the mailing does look a little bit different. The actual packaging looks a little bit different. I wonder why um, I got my letters late. I don't know that we had that kind of impact on the Postal Service, but it's not like Christmas cards. That's because you haven't sent your donation in there. <laughs> yeah, that's I right. Guess not. Jason, appreciate your time. Good stuff. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Jason Hegemeyer is with us and has been with us. We'll take a break now. We'll continue on Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS after this. Welcome back to the show. Thanks to Jason Hegemeyer, Eli Ticket Manager, for spending a few minutes with us talking about uh, ticket sales. And he's pretty encouraged about the way things are going as we try to get back to somewhat uh, normal 
college football season two weeks from today, 12 noon. Illinois hosting Nebraska in the season opener. Our friend Scott Dockerman from Iowa is on the line with us. We're going to talk to Scott about a couple of things, but we, uh, Lord and I were talking, Scott, at the beginning of the show about the uh, Field of Dreams game and wondered what uh, it was like to be there. And uh, we found you, and you're going to tell us, was that a pretty cool thing for you to cover? Yeah, absolutely, and thanks for having me on. I mean, it was, you know, that it's one of those uh, kind of marry your your heart, uh, you know, your love of the game with with an atmosphere that uh, that was second to none. I I covered Major League Baseball in the past, and there, there you know there are a lot of pristine environments and great games, but there's nothing like this, and. You know, the terrain in, in Iowa and that of uh, Central Illinois is real comparable, and uh, they took a good job of, take, of, of uh, taking care of everything there. But I tell you what, just to, to be there for that atmosphere was, was tremendous, and then to have the game match that a, a atmosphere and environment, um, it, it was certainly an atmosphere and a game that I'll never forget. What made it so special? Just the, the production of it? Uh... Of course, the game itself was exciting. It might have been the most exciting regular season game that I can remember for a while, but uh, just, I guess, the whole package made it uh, special. Yeah, it had to. And, and you know, being a, a native Iowan and Field the Dreams kind of matters to this state, and it's never had an MLB game before, uh, that's special. That's unique. That's something that, uh, you know, here we, we're surrounded by six major league baseball teams in different states, but not one here so to have the first game in the state of Iowa and I'll be game uh, and having a field of dreams is kind of like wow you know you're, you're finally kind of on the map for, for the right reasons and then all of a sudden of course uh, you know having Kevin Costner and the players come out of the corn and you know and the, talking to the players they were very excited about it once they started to, to get involved and, and even after the game they said look yeah we really wish you would have had more time here because like the Yankees flew in from Kansas City day of the game and flew right out afterwards, that you know they got to tour it and see it, but they really wish they could have settled into it a little bit more. So it was, um, you know, that it was just just as incredible of an environment as it probably was on TV. It was probably more so live. Scott, did you have any access to uh, Kevin Costner? Yeah, he had a, a pregame press conference. He and Rob Manfred. Um, and that was about an hour before first pitch, and it was good to talk to him and have him, you know, relay his thoughts on why the Hill of Dreams still resonates 30-plus years later. And, and, you know, we asked him specifically about, you know, how did you feel knowing that people change when they see the game at the end of the game. Dad, uh, let's, you know, can we have a catch? And just knowing that it just lasts and it turns, it makes people wilt. And, and it says, it's just, you know, everybody thinks about their relationship with, you know, their parents or, or somebody special. And you just don't, uh, and, and you think about the things that were left unsaid and, and how you would love just to have that one extra moment just to relive it. And so that's kind of why it's special to him. That remains so. And all these years later, and, and that's why I feel the dream is, uh, you know, one of the more special movies, uh, probably in American history. Uh, eight home runs is the is that ball? This is not the same field, by the way, that they where they did the film. It's just moved over a little bit, but it, it was it is built to in in L, um, I say National League proportions, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a it's a 
<laughs> it's actually built to the old Comiskey Park proportion. Is that right? Uh, the, yes, that's the way they built it, and it's almost, uh, you know, a couple of feet here and there. It's a little bit different, but everything was, they wanted to have the, the bullpens just past the center field fence, which they did. Uh, they wanted to have, uh, you know, the kind of the, uh, I don't know, trapezoid outfield or whatever, and uh, so, yeah, it was, that's the way it, it was, and, and originally they had, like, green fencing surrounding the field, so it really looked a lot like old Comiskey, but then they put kind of a, a wood uh, cover over it to, to kind of make it more Iowa-like, I guess. Do you expect uh, this to continue, to, to try to play this game every year? Yeah, absolutely, and that's one thing uh, Bob Manfred, I asked him specifically before the game if that was the case. He said, yes, we're coming back next year, we're coming back in August. He says he's not at liberty to say which teams are coming back, but David Ross from the Cubs kind of let it out of the bag that they're going to—they're supposed to be the team next year. So it would not surprise me at all. I looked at the August schedule, and uh, there's a couple series between the Cubs and Cardinals that would probably make a lot of sense because those are the two most popular teams in, in Iowa, at least that portion of Iowa, and, and, and probably in your viewing area too. I, right. I, area, yeah. I imagine too. So that's that's my guess is probably who appears. But it sounds like the Cubs are going to be part of it. I thought you said it would be a major league game. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. It's a triple A game. (laughs) Might as well just bring over the Iowa. (laughs) What about the use of the field for the University of Iowa or Iowa State or high school or Little League? What do you think? Well, what I would love to see, um, I've discussed this a little bit on Twitter, is why not have, if you can, have a ball ball class that's for college baseball. Can you imagine, like, say, uh, take Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Illinois, maybe Northwestern, some other, you know, regional teams, maybe even Division three teams. Have them go to, like, in September, early October, and have them play a weekend classic when the corn is brown. It's ready to harvest okay. and uh, be able to do that. You know, some people said, well, why not do that in the spring? Well, there's no corn there, and we know what the spring is like in this part of the world, but it rains four days of the week, it's cold and windy, two others, and then, hey, maybe you might have a 60-degree and funny day, but then you're not going to see any corn, so it really doesn't matter. No, it, to have it right before harvest, I think that would be really fun and, and entertaining, and uh, it, it, it would be the spectacle would matter and not make it a, a true game on the intensity part of things. Scott, did did they do something special to have those stocks uh, Straighten up. I mean, did they put poles in with those stocks for a while? To, I, I understood after a storm that they had actually been blown over somewhat. You know, uh, I'm not sure how much of it was uh, upright. The one difference between uh, those the, the corn stocks that surround the field and the ones that are kind of down the road and around the corner are that uh, they are uh, that you know they had a lot more irrigation in that area to make them look you know, impressive because you know, we're in somewhat of a drought and, and, and a lot of cornfields don't look quite as impressive as that, those around there. So I'm sure they were willing to withstand it. But as far as straightening it out, I didn't see that. But that said, it very well could have happened. Talking to Scott Docterman, who covers Iowa athletics for the uh, athletic. Um, quick football question. Like Illinois, who plays Nebraska next week, Iowa opens the season in three weeks with a Big Ten opponent, Indiana, Tell us a little bit about the Hawkeyes, what you've seen so far. 
Well, we get to finally see them here in a few minutes. They have their first and only open practice to media and fans, uh, you know, in, a, in a, well, about 15, 20 minutes. And what it is, uh, it's what the thing with this team is they've got a lot of really good players. I mean, I think there are 14 different players that have um, that had all Big Ten either honorable mention or first team or second team last year. So, so there's a lot of experience, but. But then there's some depth that missed out. I mean, they have like seven starters back on both sides of the ball. Uh, the biggest questions for me are they had a very imposing defensive line that uh, is largely gone. So they've got a lot of inexperience but talent there. And two, can Spencer Petras play like the last three quarters against Illinois or the first quarter against Illinois? If he can, if he can straighten it out and be more consistent. But this team has a chance to to win the division and be very competitive for a. New Year's six-day bowl, possibly even a game in Indianapolis. If not, then, uh, you know, this team's still a bowl team. It's still going to be really good. It's just um, it's going to lose a lot of very close games, which will be eternally frustrating to the fans around here. So that, to me, is the biggest question. Can they replenish the, the depth along the defensive line, and can the quarterback become more consistent? Because otherwise, I think they've got a shell of a, of a really good team here. Well, you're – Facing a really, uh, maybe the best Indiana team in some years. Uh, at least they think so. They're upset because they were ranked 17th. They think it should be higher. Well, uh, Indiana better. Uh, you know, Indiana's one spot ahead of Iowa. And, and frankly, at the end of the year last year, Iowa would have beaten Indiana. I mean, there was, uh, you know, Iowa won five of its last six games by at least 14 points beat Wisconsin by three touchdowns, I think Iowa would have beaten Indiana. And Indiana lost to a team with a losing record in the bowl game. So I don't know that they should be too over, uh, you know, having a chip on their shoulder right now over, uh, you know, what, what they are ranked. They should worry more about what they've got to face because two out of their first three games are against really good competition at Iowa City, which is never easy. And then against Cincinnati in week three, which, you know, of course, gave Georgia all of one of the elements to handle in the Peach Bowl. So I think uh, Indiana uh, is a very good team. They've got the best returning quarterback in the Big Ten. They've got a tremendous defense for Indiana, especially Micah McFadden, who's as good as it gets there. Elon Mullen in the secondary. Uh, but, you know, they've got to go against another pretty good team, too. So in, in a full Kinnick Stadium, it's never easy for any team coming in here. Hey, Scott, appreciate uh, your time kind of on short notice this morning. Uh, glad you could uh, take some time to visit with us. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks, you Scott. Bet. We appreciate That's Scott Docterman out in Iowa City getting uh, set to go to football practice, take a look at the Hawkeyes. He was at the uh, Field of Dreams game. He's the busiest guy in the Big Ten. We're really lucky he could come on. There's a lot of busy guys in the Big Ten, but uh, <laughs> this week certainly – he would fall into that. I'd like to talk to you a minute about Illini Pella Windows and Doors. If you've been to their showroom lately at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign, well, that's the um, spot where you can see the products in person, discover the beauty of wood windows, the ease of those between-the-glass blinds, and the durability of fiberglass entry doors. Pella is rated number one by Champaign homeowners as the window brand that can improve the value of a home. And the Pella experts know all about what type of window or door works best for each unique situation. And working with them in person is an easy process as they'll be there to help along the way from uh, shopping to installation. Visit the showroom to get started. They're open Monday through Friday, Saturday by appointment. Give them a call at 356-6474 
or check out some of the products online, maybe before you go in to see them in person, at PellaOfChampagne.com. The Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. 1047, we'll take a break, and we'll close out things with an open line if you'd like to jump in here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, back after this. Phone lines are open on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. You've got about 10 minutes to get in if you'd like. 217-356-9397. Had a text a few minutes ago. Somebody asked, whatever happened to Tab Bennett, former sports information director of the U of I? Tab passed away a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Not More sure. than a few. Steve. Yeah, I have, uh, my years kind of get lost in the uh, shuffle there, but it has been a long time. Tab, former football player for the U of I and longtime SID. Yeah, great guy. Just a terrific guy. He loved Frank Sinatra. He would go in his house, he'd play Frank Sinatra songs for you all day. I remember traveling uh, with the football team way back when. The first question was, the traveling media was, where's Tab's room? That's where the, <laughs> that's where you that's where the media got together on <laughs> Friday night before the football yeah, game. That's right. Because uh, Tab threw a pretty good party. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And congratulations to uh, Io DeSumo, a new contract, guaranteed two contract, a two-year contract with the Bulls, $2.48 million. Nice way to start a career, is it not? Well, yeah, over a million dollars a year for two years. And, and uh, you know, the key thing now is to, is to make the ball club because it's going to be a competitive situation. He's had, uh, he had uh, of the three games that I'm aware of that he's played in the summer league, he had a kind of a weak showing in the first game. He had a really good showing in the second game with some key baskets and some key defensive plays. I think he had four steals. And then the game, he was two for eight in the third game and didn't have a particularly strong game. He's, he's going he's gonna to have to battle to, to, to get into that rotation because the, the Bulls have acquired some really good players, DeRozan and others, that are going to be – demanding uh, major playing time. And so, uh, you know, the the key thing is making the ball club and not going to the G League. They may want to give him experience in the G League. They might. And he'll receive that contract whether or not he plays for the Bulls. But uh, I would think he'd spend extensive time with the Bulls next year, but he might be sent down. They send uh, second-rounders, get off and get sent down just for the experience. Well, it might be good at the start for that very reason. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like uh, – I don't think they best utilized him in a couple of games well, that I saw. Well, he's not going to be any good back there in the corner. No. Just that reminded me of uh, – uh, well, I'm trying to think of one of the Illini players that I saw play in the end. None when he first came up. Mm-hmm. They didn't use him. Now, he's since become – they've recognized he's a good shooter and he's, he's, he's playing more. But uh, it's uh, – he needs to be out on top. If not necessarily the point guard, but he, right. but I don't know why I would want to have him sit back in the corner. Well, he's good with the ball in his hands, whether or not he begins the, whether or not he brings the ball up. Yeah, he can take it to the basket. He did that a couple of times in the yeah. one game I watched. Yeah, and he had a game where he was one for eight from the field. That's that's mm-hmm. going to happen. Yeah, this time of year, but uh, he's got a chance, and now he's got some security. So he'll uh, be able to keep things having a, uh, have some a couple of good years here and get that next contract. That's the big one. Exactly, and you mentioned uh, Kendrick Nunn. He just signed a deal with the Lakers. Yeah. So he's uh, doing quite well. It took him a little while to get going, but uh, he's showing his worth. Malcolm Hill, Georgie Bashanasvili, they're both playing in the summer league, trying to. Yeah, I saw the first game. I, I haven't followed uh, Hill as I should. First game, uh, coach's decision. He did not play. Right. 
I haven't seen any, any more on him either, but uh, I don't follow it that closely. I think uh, I mentioned maybe to you that uh, game last Monday with Iowa in it for the Bulls might have been the first summer league game I've looked at for several years. I, oh, just, yeah. I don't have much interest in summer no, league and, uh, NBA. And when you, I go over the box scores, and I have to admit there are just a tremendous number of percentages of players that I don't know who they are. I'm just, right. I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I find that even in the NBA regular season. <laughs> well, we need to follow it closer, Steve. Well, we need to get uh, get your son Travis in here to tell us who's well, who. he can do that. He, he'll tell you everybody on that uh, summer league r- roster. One thing we talked about at the beginning of the show, and we touched on a little bit with uh, Greg Sharp, was the, the Big Ten ACC Pac-12 conversations amongst the three commissioners about how do those conferences kind of step up uh, against the SEC addition well, of Oklahoma and Texas. I bet Jim Phillips is really pushing that. I bet so. And he's a good guy to have on your side, even though he's at the ACC now. I, he came very close, I'm told. Uh, I think uh, I think it's pretty obvious that he came real close to being the commissioner of the Big Ten, but maybe they just didn't want to hire somebody from one of the schools. Maybe, but I th- on one hand, I think that makes sense to hire someone yeah. from one of the schools. Yeah. Well, I sure wish he was the commissioner of the Big Ten, but uh, he was right there in Chicago. He was right, yeah, right uh, near the Big Ten headquarters all along, and uh, certainly did a great job there. Yeah, yeah, he he did a fantastic job at Northwestern, and and uh, you know, in building and and the development, you know, they got that great place out there by the lakeside, and uh, that workout. I mean, that's their indoor facility and of course what they've done for the basketball arena is tremendous but I don't know if the basketball team is very good I see where Indiana played a game in the Bahamas yesterday and one of the star players was cop really transfer from Northwestern yeah they win that game they uh, oh yeah they won the 79-66 I think was the score and got strong play out of front line of course it is 10:55. we need to take one final break on a line I pedal Saturday sports talk before we wrap things up, and uh, we'll do that now and be back after this. 10.57 here on WDWS. Steve Kelly, Lauren Tate wrapping things up. So have you uh, nailed down an NIL deal for you and I yet? I'm looking for one. That's kind of been on your uh, <laughs> assignment sheet, huh? <laughs> Try to get that done. But I've, I've got to figure out a T-shirt before for you, we, <laughs> Before we both <laughs> finally retire, maybe we can... Maybe that'll push us over the edge. We'll get a nice <laughs> lucrative deal there. I'm too close to the edge. I can't afford any pushing. <laughs> so uh, Illinois football practice is underway at this time, and then uh, media day this afternoon for the uh, local media a chance to hear Brett Bielma talk after a couple of weeks of practice. And you got to sweat of out the next 48 hours, Steve. You got to get by that last scrimmage without any injuries, and then go from there because. The, there's never any good news in mid-August, you know. It's all bad news. Who got hurt? Uh, there's, you know, you're not, if they did something outstanding, you're not going to know about it anyway. And But if they have an injury, they we know about it. Yeah, that's kind of like nothing happens, nothing good happens after midnight, nothing. Yeah, <laughs> nothing, nothing uh, happens good at 2 o'clock in the morning. But <laughs> I think uh, Jordan Slaughter is at this point the only player that would have played who is lost for the season with a – a fractured ankle, and that's really a shame. He's had some problems uh, since he got to Illinois. I wonder when you know this or that, and 
I, I think he's a I think he's a real prospect to start in the, in the offensive line next year if he can get over this and get back in shape and and you know and and get to spring practice and and I I, I think that uh, they got to rebuild that offensive line and he fits in there somewhere. All right, Mr. Tate, another one in the books. Appreciate your time. I'll see you at the football stadium All this right. afternoon. Thanks to Dave Leak, our producer. Thanks to our guests this morning, Martin O'Donnell, Matt Stevens from IlliniGuys.com, Greg Sharp from the Nebraska Cornhuskers Radio Network, Illini Ticket Manager Jason Hegemeyer, and Scott Docterman from The Athletic out in Iowa. On WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, for the aforementioned people, this is Steve Kelly saying thanks for listening and have a good weekend, everybody.